Let's pray together. Lord, I'm just kind of beckoning back to that song that we just sang, Jesus, we love you. You're the one our hearts adore. God, tonight would you position our eyes, our hearts, our focus toward you, on you. God, we want to lift you up in our words tonight, in our thoughts, and our actions. Lord, would you expand our expectation of what you have for us? Thanks for your goodness for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight, uh, we are continuing on talking about family living in heavenly reality. Um, Ryan, Greg Singleton, and I, Janae, did you teach about relationship at all? Vulnerability. Yeah, we all um, taught a little bit about relationship, which is one of kind of the pillars of things that we're focusing on as we think about what it means to live as family living in heavenly reality. Another one of those pillars is leadership. And last week, Ryan came and talked to us about that. And we're continuing to talk about leadership tonight. And I just want to kind of pause here and say, you know, maybe when I say we're going to talk about leadership, you either check a box or uncheck a box and say, this does or doesn't apply to me because I am or am not a leader. And I just want to let you know that like as I thought through what I was going to say tonight and as I thought through who it was I was talking to, my hope is that all of us will approach tonight with an expectation that God would show us something about what it means for each of us as individuals to be a leader. That no one would be excluded in the things that we're talking about tonight because so much of what we're talking about tonight has to do with taking the next step. So even if you wouldn't even consider yourself a leader tonight, what we're talking about tonight means and and is centered around the idea of taking the next step. And maybe you find yourself in a leadership position. Tonight, again, for you, is about taking the next step. So whether you would kind of like bottom yourself out of even the, the leadership spectrum, tonight it's about taking the first step into what it means for you to step into a place of leadership. And maybe you are somebody who find yourself, finds yourself somewhere along that spectrum of leading people, of having an opportunity to kind of have a, a voice in the life of other people, of kind of assembling people for a specific purpose or mission, whatever it might be. Tonight is focused on you taking that next step. How many of you, when you think about leadership, would say, okay, like there have definitely been some moments where I've been taken... Uh, where I've been asked to take responsibility over something, where I've been asked to lead something, and I felt like that thing is kind of out of my attainable grasp. How many of you have ever been asked to lead something that you think is beyond kind of your own just human ability? If you've probably been asked to lead anything, you feel that way. If you've been asked to take responsibility or take Uh, ownership of something, there's probably some level of trepidation that's involved in that request. And I just want to start tonight by saying you're not crazy and feeling afraid of stepping into leadership. And that's what tonight really is all about. It's this idea that leadership is risky. Leadership is risky. And no matter what the circumstance is, we may perceive it to be risky, the thing that we're being asked to step into, Because we're being asked to step into something that we've never experienced before, 
that may be different, that may be new. And there's oftentimes fear associated with that request for us to step into something that's unknown. There's fear with that. And when we experience fear, that thing begins to feel risky. And so I just want to kind of put all of tonight on the foundation of you're not crazy for feeling a little bit afraid sometimes when you're asked to step into a place of leadership. And I want to talk about leadership being risky kind of from three perspectives. The first perspective, the risk of saying yes. The second perspective, the risk of the unknown. And the last perspective is um, the risk of being on display. And we're going to talk about these three components tonight, look into scripture, kind of dive deep into what it means for us to take that next step in our leadership. Um, So let's start with that first idea, the risk of saying yes. So I just want us to close our eyes right here, and I want you to consider, is there an area of your life where you're being asked to say yes right now? Just consider that question. Lord, would you just bring to light the things that you're presenting before us, the things that you're asking us to step into, the things you're calling us into. Yeah, Lord. And would you just send your spirit of peace over us as we talk about these things, as we think on them, as we consider them, as we listen for your voice in each of these areas? Amen. You know, tonight we're talking about leadership and I want to have several of these moments where we just pause and listen and reflect because for me, it's really important for each of us to kind of take hold of some really practical stuff in the things that we're talking about tonight and allow those things to lead to action for us as we think about our leadership. So as we look at this, the risk of saying yes, we understand that healthy leadership begins with an acknowledgement. So Moses, he kind of flees his role and his position in Egypt, and he goes into the wilderness there. He escapes kind of his crimes of the, and his history and his past. But as he's out doing what he was doing out in the middle of the desert, he encounters God there. And God says to him, hey, Moses, I'm calling you into a position of leadership. And I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh it's time for him to release my people. Because I have a plan for my people and I'm calling you into a position of leadership. And in the story that so many of us probably know, Moses is presented with an opportunity to say yes. But Moses kind of gives these excuses. He's saying, you know, I'm not very eloquent. I'm not sure that I'll have the authority when I go into that situation. And God says, let me take care of all of that. You just trust me and respond by saying yes. And Moses, I'm sure, at many points along the way was very uncomfortable in the things that God was asking him to step into. They were far beyond, and we even know this from Scripture and Moses' responses, that they were far beyond what Moses thought he was capable of. And when we say yes, we understand that leading means caring more about obedience than comfort. Leading means caring more about obedience than comfort. It's easy for us to stay where we are, for us just to do what we're used to, to know what's normal and live in that place of stasis. But leading means caring more about obedience than we care about our comfort. Not only Moses, but people all throughout Scripture encounter this very real thing. Isaiah, the prophet in the Old Testament, being another one of those characters who is kind of tasked with 
the opportunity to say yes to the Lord. And in Isaiah chapter 6, we see this kind of encounter, this very real and intimate encounter that Isaiah has with God that kind of changes everything for him. It says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So he has first this picture of God, this grand picture of God. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And they said it over and over and over again. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. The role of these beings was to for eternity over and over again declare, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Isaiah had this powerful encounter with God in His glory and His presence and it radically changed him and his willingness to say yes. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, which it touched to my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. This transforming encounter that Isaiah is having with the presence of God in his courts then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And in the presence of God, in this deep, immense encounter with the presence of God, Isaiah found it very easy to say, Yes, here I am, send me. And I think that's really important for you and me as we think about the things that God is calling us into when it comes to leadership, when it comes to taking the next step. It's not simply for you and your glory. It's a response of, being, of, a, of a transforming encounter with God that leads us to a place where all we can do is say yes in obedience to Him. We leave behind the pettiness of what we consider to be our comfort because we've encountered the power and presence of God and it makes us, it, it prods us, it becomes an impetus for us to say yes. And when we begin to say yes, we begin to realize some things. And these next three things, when we look at this idea of saying yes, are three things that I've experienced in my own life um, from time to time. The first is this, your life and relationships will cha change when you say yes to leadership. It's far more comfortable to stay where you are than it is to take ground. Who rode their bike to school when they were in elementary school? Anybody ever start riding their bike to school? Like all four of us? Okay, this may or may not be relevant to you then. But uh, this was my experience. And so, you know, there's this thing where it's like, Mom, Mom, can I ride my bike to school? Please let me ride my bike to school. Come on, my friends are riding my bikes, their bikes to school. Let me ride my bike to school. 
And so eventually it's like, yeah, just wear her down. She'll finally say yes. And then, you know, she does. And so there's that morning where like maybe I had ridden that route with my mom. She was showing me what it was like so that I had encountered it in some way. But eventually the morning came where I was able to go and meet my friends. And there was the newness of riding my bike to school. And surrounding that was this excitement. And in another way surrounding it was kind of this fear. And I didn't know what to expect. But eventually it just became normal to take that route to school and when it became normal I began to notice other things for instance there was this little like ditch that ran concurrently with the sidewalk and I guess it was so that the runoff would go down and kind of run into the lake and there was this cement like V kind of shape where the water would run down and it was right next to the sidewalk so eventually it's like you know what, I'm kind of tired of the old route I feel like I'm used to it now maybe it's time for me to like divert off the sidewalk and like go down into that cement ditch, you know, like that's crazy. Am I really going to do that? So, you know, I think about it riding by a few days. You know, I had seen some other kids do it before, and then the day comes, like, okay, it's like 100 yards down there. Am I going to do it? Am I going to do it? I think I'm going to do it. And then I get there, and it's like, okay, I'm going to do it. Oh, I don't think I should have done it. And, you know, you go down, and then you come up the other side, and it's like, I'm so glad I did it. And then eventually that just becomes part of the new route. Like it just becomes the thing. And then you start looking for other things. I started looking for other like things to go off the, the path and to explore and to see new opportunities to live. In life, when we say yes to leadership, things change. And as we say yes to the next step, God begins opening doors for us to say yes to yeah, the next step. And he begins to open up what it means to like truly live. And we step into a new level of experience. So your life and relationships will change when you say yes to leadership. Saying yes to leadership will also show us this. Leadership means putting others at the center of your life more than you put yourself there. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Gosh, there is this like tension inside of us, this, I think, born in innate tension that we love making ourselves the center of the universe. We love filtering all of the decisions that we have to make through one person and that one person being us. But when you and I choose to say yes to leadership, something begins to shift in us. At first, maybe there's the tension of like, I don't know if I want to consider other people when I'm making decisions. But eventually, as we learn to do that, God begins to stir something in us and we begin putting others and their needs and their, their even sometimes wants and desires and our call becomes, Lord, how can I serve the people around me well? For me, I think the thing that I've discovered is like, this is one of the greatest signs of maturity. How much time do I spend thinking about myself? And how, in a healthy way, do I spend time thinking about how I can give my life away to other people? And I want to call us to be those kinds of people where not every decision is filtered through the lens of the one, the self. But we begin asking, Lord, how are you calling me to give my life away to other people? Also involved in the risk of saying yes, this last idea, saying yes to leadership, means devoting yourself to a new level of committedness. 
And it's funny, we have this thing, I think, when it comes to leadership, we have this perspective of like, okay, once that person, or once that thing, or once that group of people, or once that organization convinces me that it's worthy of my committedness, then I'll commit to it. Once I feel good enough about committing to that thing because of the way that thing makes me feel, then I'll say yes to it. But one of the things that I've learned over and over and over again in my life is that when I'm willing to take the first step to saying yes by getting off the sidelines and investing my heart and life and leadership into that thing or that person or those people, that's when I begin caring most about it. And tonight, if there are things and areas of your life, even when it comes to our lives together as City Beautiful Church, where you feel like I am disconnected and I feel detached and I don't know what to do about that, let me encourage you that one of the best ways to overcome that hurdle is to say yes to a new level of committedness, to get off the sidelines in your life and take the risk of saying yes to investment. Because the biggest reward comes on the heels of the greatest risks of our lives. And when you and I are willing to say yes to a high level of committedness to something, it is risky because it opens us up to being hurt like we've never been hurt before. But if you're going to experience the fullness of the beauty of life, it's going to take you being willing to take the first step of saying yes deeply. So I just want to call us tonight to the risk of saying yes. And it is a risk. Leadership is risky. The second thing we're looking at tonight when it comes to this idea that leadership is risky is this, the risk of the unknown. Leadership means walking into the unknown and preparing the way for others to follow. Paul's conversion and his call to the Gentiles is a really beautiful example of this. So Paul is, has, has, has grown up as a religious leader. He's been groomed for this role. He's a persecutor of the early church. And he's walking along this road and Jesus literally meets him. The resurrected Christ meets him in a blinding light and Paul is blinded. And he says, Lord, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus. I'm the one you're persecuting. And on the heels of this conversion, very soon after, in the same chapter, just a few verses later, Paul is called to something that not only is unknown, it actually flies in the face of everything that Paul thought was right and true. And so the Lord is simultaneously speaking to this guy, Ananias. He says, go, this man, Paul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. The risk of the unknown. Paul was at the risk of putting every one of his relationships on the line in this moment. Like Paul was stepping into something that was tantamount to sacrilege. It was the people around him saying, you're not allowed to do that. But in the same way that Moses had a transforming encounter with God, and in the same way that Isaiah had a transforming encounter with God, the encounter with God was far more valuable than Paul's comfort. And so Paul, this blinded man from the light of Jesus, couldn't help but say yes to the unknown of stepping outside of everything that he thought was right. 
and expanding the, what was previously very small circle of those who God called his people. And Paul went to the Gentiles, and you and I today sit in this room because Paul was willing to take the risk of stepping into the unknown. And this isn't like some theoretical thing. This isn't something that I just want us to think about. This is something that I want us to embrace individually in our lives, but collectively as a church. We want to be a church that embraces the failures of leaders who try to take new ground. When you and I step into the unknown, it is not always going to work out the way we think it should work out. And I want to tell you tonight that that is okay. I hope that this statement right here is simultaneously like one of the craziest, most scary things you've ever heard, but at the same time, like the most uplifting and empowering statement. If you and I are to see the things that have been prophesied over us about our church and about our city, this is essential. This is crucial. One of the things that's been spoken out about us that I really feel like the Lord has said about our city and about our church is that God wants Orlando to be known for his work more than people know for us for theme parks. There are 60 million people who come to our city every year because they know who Mickey Mouse is. And I love Mickey Mouse. I saw him last night. It was great. We had a great time. So this is not the poo-poo Mickey Mouse. But I'll tell you this. Did you know that Orlando has more visitors every year than any other city in the United States of America? More than New York City, people come to Orlando, Florida, and they visit our theme parks. 60 million people a year. We're the first city in the entirety of the United States who has even reached that number in a calendar year of people who came to our city because they've heard about what's going on here. So we have a challenge ahead of us. We have an opportunity ahead of us. If we are to see our city known around the world because of the move of God, there's a lot of people who already know who we are. So God is calling us into an amazing opportunity and this statement is essential. It's crucial to us stepping into those things that we have to be a people that embrace the failure of leaders who try to take new ground. And let me make a very important distinction here between the failure of trying and the failure of neglect. There's a vast difference between those two things. The failure of trying is an act of a bold leader. The failure of neglect is the antithesis of leadership. I experience this in my own life all the time, where there are opportunities that are presented before me, and I have the opportunity to step into those things because I've, I, I'm taking a risk in my life or, because I, and then I, or not stepping into them because I'm saying no to them. So if you and I prepare well and pray hard and seek the Lord and get ready and invite other people along the way and we show up in a moment and that moment goes totally opposite of the way that we planned, there is so much value and grace and the lessons learned and the encounter of God in those moments. And those are not things that we put one another down for. Those are things that we celebrate and we say thank God for you and thank God for the things that he's teaching you and thank God for your willingness to step out and lead us by showing us what it means to be people and leaders who take risks. On the other side is like the failure of neglect which says I'm afraid 
And in my fear, I remain immobilized. And so I do nothing. And like the, the simplest things, like this happens in my life in the simplest of things. Like whether or not in a moment I'm going to pray for someone. Like, Lord, am I going to step into this moment? I have no idea what's going to happen if I go and I pray for that person right there. It is far easier for me to remain disengaged and fail through neglect. But what if I step into that moment and things don't go the way that I planned for them to go? And I learn something about myself and I learn something about the way the Lord moves and I learn something about that person and we share a human moment. Or what if I show up in that risk, the risk of the unknown, and God does something far beyond what I could have ever even asked for? We'll never know until we're being, we are people who are willing to step into the risk of the unknown. So we want to be a people, a church that embraces the failures of leaders who try to take new ground. There is so much grace for you. Be bold. Step into the things of God. Find out who he is. Discover the depths of his heart. See how he works. See how he moves. Show us what it looks like to be in, entrenched in the heart of God. When we talk about the risk of the unknown, we want to be people who respond to the Lord in obedience. And I just want to talk for a moment here about the nature of obedience. When it comes to that idea of like, okay, I'm just not going to do anything until I am totally sure that God is saying this. When it comes to obedience, there's kind of two things that are going on here. On one hand, it's specific revelation. Moses has that encounter with God and God gives him the very clear word. Hey, go to Pharaoh. Do it now. And maybe you're one of the people who's had like that kind of encounter. And if you are, awesome. But I think for most of the decisions that we face in life, most of us don't get that kind of clarity. And that's where general revelation comes in. I think for a lot of us, God is waiting for us to respond to what we already know so that we can be found faithful in those things so that he can help us step into the, the specifics. So there are a lot of things that we already know about being obedient to God, God's glory, us promoting God's glory, lifting up God in his glory, the character of Jesus, living like Jesus lived, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that we would bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And when we think about this idea of stepping into the unknown and neglect and being proactive, let's not be neglectful because we're waiting to hear that audible voice from heaven. And if we get that, amazing. Let's step out right now into the things that we already know God has said about what it means for us to live a life after him. That we would uphold his glory, that we would live in the character of Jesus, and that we would embody the fruit of the Spirit in everything that we do. And here's what I think happens. When we are found faithful with the general revelation of God, it's then that we begin hearing and encountering the specific revelation of God. That we would be found faithful with what he's already let us know. And then as we step into that in faithfulness, we begin hearing the specifics of what he has for us. All right, so leadership is risky. There's the risk of saying yes. There's the risk of stepping into the unknown. And lastly, there's the risk of being on display. And this is maybe kind of a weird one, but I think it's like inherently part of leadership. Like 
If you're stepping into leadership, people are going to start looking at your life. Choosing to say yes to leading will result in being subject to opinion. With more leadership comes more opinion. I got two words for you. Justin Bieber. Am I right? My suggestion tonight was like in our creative meeting this week, I was like, you know what we should just do is we should just play Justin Bieber background music when everybody's walking in because everybody will have an opinion. You walk in, you're like, there's two, there's two, two options. It's like, oh my gosh, I love this song. Or why are they playing Justin Bieber? That's so weird. And you know, Justin Bieber may not be the greatest example of leadership. It's more probably an issue of fame. But fame is some sort of leadership. It's this idea of being put on display. And a lot of people have an opinion, good or bad, about Justin Bieber. And I'll tell you this, if nobody knew who Justin Bieber was in this room, nobody would have an opinion about him. There's just this thing that when you step into leadership, <clears throat> you subject yourself to the opinions of other people. And I think that probably for most of us, this is the number one thing that prevents us from stepping into the fullness of our leadership because we are afraid of what people are going to think if we're the one who speaks up. It is far easier to remain silent, far easier to remain immobilized, but leadership means being the one who's willing to risk reputation, being the one who's willing to speak up. Oddly enough, like this is the one place where like Mark Driscoll and Rob Bell have experienced the same life and like are kind of on the same plane. It's like both of them are polarizing characters and a lot of people have opinions about them, albeit often different opinions. But like they're people who are willing to stand up and say something. And what if we were people who were willing to stand up and say something when in reality it's far less risky and far easier to just be silent? And in fact, Jesus... And every single one of his disciples were killed because they were the, the people who were willing to stand up and be put on display. From the moment that Jesus was born, a star shined over the place where he was born. And from the moment that he came into this world, he was put on display. And everybody who was threatened by his power that encountered him wanted to kill him, including the king at the time, Herod. Jesus was put on display through the announcement of his birth by a star, and Herod was threatened by his power, and Herod wanted to kill him. Later on, we see the Pharisees who want to kill Jesus because he was put on display as an example of what a different kind of life looked like. Pontius Pilate succumbed to the pressure of the people because the people were crying out against Jesus because he was the one who was willing to stay, stand up and say something. And Jesus was killed because he was willing to be put on display. And we know these kind of like big ideas about Jesus being put on display and the repercussions in his life. But for me, like one of the really poignant ones that resonated so deeply with me is something that really I had never even looked at until recently our small group was looking at the story of Lazarus who had died. And we just like began, I think, uncovering some really interesting stuff in our small group about this story. So um, Mary, Martha... They come to Jesus, he's in a different town, and they say, hey, Lazarus is sick, come and heal him. And Jesus cared very much about these two women and his friend Lazarus. They were like some of his people. 
Like these were the people that the, the savior of the world, they were some of the few people that he was able to connect with as human beings. And it says this in John eleven five. now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He had a deep love for these people. There was a deep relationship that they had. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews uh, there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? And so Jesus is faced with this dilemma. I care very much about these people, but I know if I go there, there's a chance that I'll be killed. And because of his love for these people, Jesus decides to go at great sacrifice to himself. But when he shows up, John eleven twenty. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. I think that says something about how these people were feeling about Jesus and his delay in coming. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know now that even God will give you whatever you ask. So here's Martha running to him. If you had been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Later on, Mary finally comes after kind of getting herself out of the house to go see Jesus. And I imagine that there's a reason that she was delayed in coming to see him. In both of their words, they say, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Here we are in verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Jesus felt the pain and the sting of his friend Lazarus dying. But he knew what it was about to happen. He knew he was about to raise him. And I think some of the tears that Jesus was shedding that day were the tears of being misunderstood by a group of people that you care very much about. These people, Mary and Martha, who he loved, came to him and pointed their finger at him and said, hey, you're supposed to be the leader here. And if you would have been here, our brother would still be alive. Thank you very much. And I think that day, in that moment, Jesus felt a sting of pain, the sting of pain of being misunderstood as someone who cares very much for people, but those people have a very certain expectation of who you are and what you should do and when you should do it. And I think that is half the reason that Jesus was crying that day, because he felt more alone than he had ever felt in his entire life. These people who he loved very much pointing their fingers at him and saying, we think you should have done this. And if you're going to be a leader, it means you're going to be on display. And a lot of people may disagree with a lot of the things you do and when you do them and how you do them. And a lot of people are going to have an opinion. And if Jesus couldn't have avoided that, I don't think there's any way on this earth that you and I can avoid it. I may be giving you the worst pitch 
that you've ever heard about why you should be a leader. Because I've talked about how risky and hard and tough it is. And I can't tell you that everything's going to be awesome if you say yes to the next step. But I can tell you the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. It's far easier to be quiet and safe than to speak up and become vulnerable. It's far easier just to stay where you are and not take the next step. But I think when we have an encounter with God, something happens. And saying yes to the risk of leadership suddenly becomes far more meaningful and important. Saying yes to being obedient becomes far more meaningful and important in preserving ourselves. And I'll end with this, reward comes on the heels of risk. No amount of risk can ever outweigh the reward of intimacy with God in living into your divine calling in purpose. And I say that tonight in faith, honestly. I can't even promise you that's true. All I can do tonight is to say, Jesus, I think that you've said that you're the prize. And some days leading stuff is really hard. And it oftentimes seem like, seems like it's far more risky than it is rewarding. And I can't promise you that at the end of your life, if you say yes to leadership, that the risk page won't outweigh the reward page. All I can tell you tonight is that God has called us to say yes to him. God has called us to follow after Jesus, to say yes to the things of Jesus, to say yes in obedience to the things that he's calling us to. And I have to believe that God is not lying to us when he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Or when he says that my grace is everlasting or that my love is unconditional. I have to believe that if you and I say yes to the risk of leadership, that we find God in those rough moments. We find God in those difficult days. That we find God amongst all of the questions that we have. My friend Logan was part of our teaching team meeting this week and he asked a really important question when we came to this, as we were talking about it. He said, what, what's the reward? And I have to believe that the reward is God is our prize. That intimacy with him is truly more important than anything else or any risk and all I can do tonight is to say that from a place of faith because I can't prove it to you uh, I sat with a friend this week who's like going through the hardest time of his life he's having a hard time sleeping and eating and I'm sitting across from the table with him and he's like feeling guilty for feeling and I've been learning this thing recently, and it's that, like, life is not meant to be sterile. I think so often in, like, our Christian paradigm, we think that the best we can ever be is just to, like, live in a laboratory where everything is perfect. But God has not called us to live in a laboratory. He's called us to live in reality. And it's not always gonna be easy. 
In fact, I think it's far more difficult on, on most days than it is easy if we're truly stepping into the fullness of the life that God has called us into. And I want to call you beyond the lie of a sterile Christian life. I want to call you into feeling something. I want to call you into taking a risk and believing that there's some value in feeling it. In feeling the pain of being a leader, of feeling the pain of people having an opinion about you, of feeling the pain of saying yes to the unknown and having no idea what's going to happen. And oftentimes falling down on your knees. But I think Jesus is found around us when we're willing to scrape up our knees and have him come, have him come and like tend to our wounds. There's something so good in that. Can we just trust him? And I, like, I was so thankful that in, in moving through this journey of asking what leadership means and what we're supposed to hear tonight about this, that I really feel like the Lord said this to me, that reward is found in longevity and that you waste your pain when you give up. If you fall down and you scrape your knees and you say, I'm not going to keep going because it's too hard and it hurts too much, then I think we've wasted something. We've wasted the pain if we don't take that moment and say, God, I don't know what's going on here, but I think you're trying to show me something. What is it? How can I take it? How can I learn? And how can I step into the next thing you're calling me into? Don't waste the pain. See the long game and say, God, I want to learn something in this right now. Show me what it means for my next step. All of us have the opportunity to take the next step tonight. And I know it's hard and I know it's risky. And I can almost guarantee you that it'll feel like it hurts more than it feels like it's a reward. But there's some sort of reward in the long game. And that's just like faith. <laughs> it's faith, like totally. Because I can't, I can't show you what it is. Because I don't know what it is for you. But I think God knows what it is for you. So let's stand together and consider this question. What's the one area of your life that your fear inside of you tells you is really risky and that fear, that risk, that fear of risk is preventing you from stepping into obedience. What's the thing you're supposed to choose obedience in tonight? It's going to be risky. It could hurt. It could be stupid. Like people might literally look at you and tell you you're stupid. People are going to have an opinion about it. But we do not live Jesus for the opinions of people. We live to be obedient to you. So give us bravery, God. Let him just work in your heart for a second. We'll sing a couple of songs.